This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am Katie Rich, and I'm here for this interview episode with David Canfield. Hi, Katie. David, you got to talk to an actor who has been my favorite part of so many things at this point, and I think that still holds for his Emmy-nominated work uh, this year. You talked to Michael Stuhlbarg about his role in Dopesick. Yes, and so many other projects in which uh, I agree <laughs> I agree with you, Katie. He is uh, the best part of so many things, and yeah, he's always a, a lovely presence when he gets to pop up somewhere. Yeah, and in Dope Sick, I mean, it is a complicated story with a lot of really complicated, uh, loathable people. But I, I get the feeling that Richard Sackler might be really high up there on the list of difficult <laughs> characters Michael Stuhlbarg has played. Yeah, it's a great showcase for him to do really a true villain, and he he goes for it 100%. Yeah. Uh, it's it's one of his more, I would say, transformative performances, and he, he really um, does not hold back from some of the awful things that this man did. Uh, the show is about Purdue Pharma, Richard Sackler, of course, um, the sort of godfather of much of the opioid e- epidemic, as the, as the show pretty persuasively argues. And um, I think the great, the interesting thing about Stolbarg's performance, which rightly is Emmy-nominated, is it's really quite sinister, but at the same time, there's a sadness to it. And um, he, he really strikes a, a complicated balance there. Yeah, I think it was a colleague of ours who kind of described the Sacklers on this show as proof that, like, all the money in the world cannot make you happy because they are so miserable. And Richard Sackler is, like, the the root of the poison misery tree in the Sackler family. Truly, truly. Uh, and you also talked about The Staircase, which is another Emmy nominee uh, that he was part of. He really he's having a good run on TV right now. He is. And um, I think that if he was not nominated for Dopesick, he probably would have been nominated for that. The acting branch liked The Staircase a lot. And uh, he was... Um, Really, really good in that, too. One of the fascinating things about this, you know, year of of television for him is both of these roles, he's playing men who almost certainly, in one case we know, in one case we can assume, people he's portraying have hated 
the projects. <laughs> like in the case <laughs> in in the case of Dopesick, um, Richard Sackler's lawyers quite literally sent a letter to Michael Stolbarg, uh, which wow. was essentially a cease and desist as he was filming. I don't think you're allowed to do that. I'm no lawyer, but I feel like he was allowed to play him. I, I'm sure they, they had some complicated, expensive legal strategy that made it legal. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then in the case of The Staircase, David Rudolph, who is uh, Michael Peterson's attorney, has shared many articles, including a few Vanity Fair articles, uh, about, um, you know, basically with various people involved in the show and in the um, actual case of Michael and Kathleen Peterson um, speaking out against the show, calling it inaccurate, things like that. So we talked about the sort of balance of portraying these extremely divisive, complicated characters in these very uh, provocative and um, revealing projects and, and trying to just... I think stay focused as an actor when there's so much noise around you. Yeah, uh, no, that's a and, you know calling someone brave as an actor. I feel like it can really be um, an overpuffery, but to take on a, a role like that with characters and the real people are out there watching. That's um, I, I don't think I could do it. Nope. <laughs> brave <laughs> uh, indeed. Well, <laughs> well, let's hear more uh, from your conversation with Michael Stolbark. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, and I want to start by congratulating you on your Emmy nomination for Dope Sick. Thank you very much. Uh, this is your second for a Hulu limited series playing a real person. So it's becoming a bit of a specialty for you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Let's talk a little bit about the project more broadly for you to start. You're known as a character actor and there's a real... From my experience with your work, a real empathic quality to a lot of the characters you play and the performances you give. Um, enter a real villain <laughs> in Richard Sackler. Um, it seemed to me like a, a bigger or different kind of swing for you, both in the choices you made and in his positioning within the show. Did it feel that way for you? You know, I have very little control over the kinds of things that come my way. And so as much as I'd like to think of these things as choices... To be honest with you, it was a wonderful opportunity. So I just, I leapt at the opportunity to work with Danny because I've admired so many of the things he's made in the past and to be a part of this cast and to tell this particular story. And I, I would never have cast myself in this part. So it was, it was fascinating to me that they thought that I could do something like this. So I was grateful for an opportunity because I'm always looking for something that will that will be frightening to try to do or uh, possibly uh, something you don't necessarily see yourself in, but someone else does. Just the fact that someone else will see you in a particular role, sometimes that's enough to give you uh, the impetus to want to give it a try. Hmm. When you take on something where you are surprised to be to be thought of or you don't immediately see yourself in the part, do you take it as a kind of of challenge for yourself as an actor? Uh, is it something that excites you particularly versus something where maybe you're like, yeah, that that's something I would play. <laughs> I get why they cast me. Oh, no, surely. Um, when someone sees you a way that you don't necessarily see yourself, it's actually quite exciting because you haven't spent any time necessarily thinking about who that individual is or how they may comport themselves. Whereas if it's something you may have had your eye on, you probably bring some baggage to it. So I brought no baggage to this. And that was, um, that was great. 
it's an absolute delight to be surprised when things come along, when someone sees you a way you didn't see yourself because I've found in the past that most of the things that have come along that have been surprises have been really, really fun to work on. Um, with Richard, the physicality and the speech patterns and everything are very specific, uh, both in the way you play him and in, uh, and in real life. Um, I know you're known as someone who, who prepares quite uh, thoroughly for parts. With this, uh, there's obviously some material of him uh, available, like a very long deposition video. Um, but was there anything particularly difficult for you in keying into him? Something that was a little bit harder to, took a little bit more time to click maybe? Well, um, what I had to go on was a very specific thing. As far as I could tell, they had fairly scoured the internet to remove as much information or photographs of who he was previous to 2015. Also, all I had to go on was a deposition video and uh, they had not put the entire deposition online or at least I couldn't find it. So I had about 28 minutes <laughs> of it to comb through. Oh, wow. and there were little clues of things here and there and the rest of it was trusting the writer, Danny, because he knew so much about the Sackler family. Uh, and if I had questions, I'd ask him and um, trying to read as much about him as I could. Uh, everything factors into how you end up playing something. Ever wanted to go inside the Met Gala? I'm Cho Minardi, and this week on The Run Through with Vogue, we take you inside the world's most exclusive and glamorous party. We'll talk about the best looks from the red carpet and everything that happened after. Listen to The Run Through with Vogue wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. With both Richard and David, your character on The Staircase, uh, which also aired this spring, both have been at the center of some controversy with the shows, um, as in from what I understand, Richard literally had his lawyers send you a letter during filming on Dope Set, correct? Yes. Yeah. Which is a first, I'm assuming. For me, it was. Yes. Obviously, you're playing a character in you know, both shows' cases, characters, and your goal isn't to make the, the real people happy. But I, but I am wondering how you navigate it, knowing these folks that you're playing are not only speaking out against the projects you're, and your roles, but saying, say, this didn't happen, you're getting this wrong. How do you square that in your head as you're playing them um, and, and even as you're hearing it after you've already completed the project? Right. Well, they were different. The two projects were quite different in terms of communication. Initially with The Staircase, Antonio Campos, our director and showrunner, 
had been involved in the idea of creating this piece for, I think, 12 years or so. And he knew David Rudolph and connected the two of us together. So I traveled to David's home and spent a day with him in his law offices and got to meet his wife and his kid. And, and uh, we had a really lovely time uh, chatting about, you know, he answered every question I had and, uh, and, and went out of his way to make himself available to all of us to ask any questions we wanted to, which was delightful. I think his issues simply lie in some creative decisions that were made in that our piece was based on the documentary, but uh, not meant to be something like a documentary where it's exactly the same. It was a dramatization. Whereas the other project, we felt it was probably to our best interests to stick with what Danny wanted to do with the project. And it felt probably uh, wiser to do that as opposed to engaging with the Sacklers because of issues of litigation and otherwise. It's a, it's a slippery slope. So uh, I try to take the advice of those people who I'm working with, and uh, that's what I did in that instance. Hmm. Do you sweat the details a little bit more closely as a result, maybe? Just knowing that, you know, in, in the case of both of these projects, the subjects are quite fraught, and you know that once it comes out that a lot of people are going to have a lot to say, and, and you're playing, especially in Dopesick, uh, a man uh, at the center of that of that story in a certain way, center absolutely. of the negative well, part of the story. No, yeah. I, I absolutely, I do. I also find that that's where where the fun lies in the details of things. So it will help everything I do to pay as close attention and to learn as much as I can, yet understanding that we are telling a particular version of the story and hoping that um, whether or not the person I'm playing is going to watch it, but that I honor what it was that they went through. I mean, I really try to not judge who it is I'm playing. I'm I'm stepping into someone's shoes and trying to navigate what it must have been like under their circumstances to do what it was they were doing. And the more you learn, the more you have to go on. And yeah, it's been a delight for me in the past to engage with the real people when I've had the opportunity to do so. And I, I, I do enjoy it. And yes, of course, it's unfortunate if if the project turns out to be something that they have issues with. But um, at the same time, that's part of the, of the, can be part of the territory. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to zoom back a little bit, having followed your career for, for quite some time. Uh, and you've been uh, one of my favorite actors for a long time now. And I had some awareness of your work before A Serious Man, but I, I would say for many, that was a particularly significant introduction. It must have felt that way for you as well. It was, yeah, it was everything, really. It was an opportunity that I, I, I was so grateful for. And, um, and yes, it was a huge kind of introduction, even though I had been you know, doing stage work in New York professionally for 20 years before that. Did being the lead 
come for you with a certain amount of pressure? I, I know by this point on Broadway, you'd been nominated for a Tony. You were quite well established uh, in the New York theater scene. Um, but it is still a different kind of thing to be the lead of a Coen Brothers movie. Absolutely. Sure. I mean, really, it became a kind of opportunity for me to be in front of the camera as much as the character was, because up till then, the things I'd done on film had been very small, a day here, a day there, that kind of thing. So I talked to Joel about it initially in terms of, for lack of a better word, comfortability in front of being in front (laughs) of a camera. And uh, he asked me a little bit about whether I would prefer to look at what it is I'm doing or not. And I said, why don't you just, if you feel like I need to see something, show me. And if you don't, that's fine. We'll just keep going. But I had enough time to prepare for it. And so I just prepared it like I would do a play or whatever, get to know the whole arc of the, the character. And so I was ready. I think I was just, I was just ready in a way that I had never been perhaps before. Did you end up watching as you were going or how did that resolve? No, as it turned out, no. I just trusted my my collaborators, Roger Deakins, and that he would, uh, if he thought we could create a different image, I just listened to what I was told and uh, offered what I had to offer up. And if they were happy, I was thrilled. The, the lineup of directors you've worked with from that moment is pretty remarkable. And they're all known, or many of them are known, for, for unique ways of working, let's say. Uh, so, so with the Coens, for example, was there anything about their process that particularly helped you as an actor or that informed the process of filmmaking in a way that you've carried forward, uh, something you took away from that project? Yes, absolutely. A couple of things. Number one, there are no rewrites. The script is in a place where it's finished. So it was the same when I read it first to when I arrived on the days to shoot the thing. So nothing was changing, which is a great, great benefit in terms of preparation. Mm. Also, Joel told me that he found that my rhythms were a particular way. And he said, you know, if you if you connect your thoughts a little bit more together as opposed to breaking them up as much as you seem to be, there's a better chance that the editor in post will tie everything that you're saying together as as opposed to giving him a space in which he can cut. So that's something that I brought with me, um, which is an interesting thing to consider because I wasn't thinking about that at all. But um, primarily it's how how well they planned to make what it was they were going to make. We had a certain amount of time. And we ended up finishing a week ahead of schedule and under budget because they had planned so well, you know, and the extra time that they found that they had, if they saw something on the day, it allowed them time to shoot some things that they hadn't thought about, which was great. So if I ever get the opportunity to make something myself or ever choose to do that, I certainly have a wonderful uh, template in terms of how they m- make what they make to have it be as finished as possible. And also they storyboard every single shot and give it to the actors on the day so that you know mm. how many shots be. So you're a part of the process as much as, as they are while you're inside of it. You know how many shots there's going to be and how long your day is going to be. So it's, it's an ideal way of making films. 
I would imagine it was also a, a pretty good education for someone who hadn't done films in that kind of capacity before to be able to have that access to their process. Yeah, it was the beginning of a learning process for me of understanding how films are made, what film acting is. And I really think it has everything to do with my just being being ready to enter that world at that time after really struggling for a number of years and not understanding why I hadn't been utilized much. I just didn't think I, I knew what I was doing. Hmm. So, so coming off of that movie, you mentioned at the beginning of this still not having a ton of choice, say, but it was a, obviously a very well-regarded movie and performance. So what, what did that moment look like of uh, the potential of a, of a screen career in a way you hadn't had before? Um, I know you'd done Boardwalk Empire pretty quickly after that, but what, what was that experience like of just coming off of that movie and seeing maybe something new ahead of you? It was a delight because I, I didn't know that I would have that kind of an opportunity to work with people that I admired. All I was trying to do was do the best work I could in whatever venue that happened to be. Mm -hmm. And I guess they had also seen some of my theater work, so they were familiar with what it was I had done before or could do. So they weren't, I wasn't like I was being picked out of, of nowhere. Uh, they knew me a little bit and they knew what I, a variety of the things that I could do. Um, but in terms of that time in my life, it was an opportunity. It was a chance to actually enter the world of cinema and film and uh, on-camera work that I hadn't had the chance really to do or to understand. And I was thrilled to have the chance and it opened doors to me that wouldn't have been opened. So I owe them everything, really. One thing you mentioned with the series Man, which is similar to a play, is getting the whole arc of the piece in advance and working off of it. Going into Boardwalk Empire, of course you don't have that, um, most definitely. Did you find starting TV in that way, where you're playing bigger characters who have season series-long arcs, difficult or intimidating maybe to have that level of spontaneity required? No, uh, no, no. It was a, just a challenge. It was, you know, of course you wish to know what was going to come up, but the scripts weren't there. So you just played what you were given and gave them as many options as, uh, as you could yeah. think of and see where things could, could go and learn as much about, in my case, my character was an, another historical character, somebody who had actually yep. lived, not fictional. Uh, and so I had a, a ton of information to dig into and to learn about him. So that's really where I put my attention, but no, I wasn't intimidated, but I was thrilled at the opportunity to get to work with an amazing cast and to be with Mr. Scorsese and Terry Winter and all those seasoned pros, uh, and I was so delighted to be amongst that group of people. Once again, it's just another opportunity. And uh, you hope for the best and you give your heart to it. And you hope that something great comes out of it. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starts in Dea at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. 
who her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with the romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, of course, you've done quite a few limited series. And a lot of them are quite heavy, I should add. Dope Six, a very heavy show, and Looming Tower was as well. That was for your first nomination. What does your attraction to the, that material look like? And how, are you, how do you navigate at this point what is out there, what is available, what offers that there are, um, with hopefully a little more choice than before, at least? Yeah, I mean, it, um, timing is everything, and I've been lucky to have been a part of those things. And once again, Looming Tower was also one of those things where I never would have cast myself in that part. But <laughs> um, Bash Doran, who was one of the writers on that piece, just thought I'd be right for it. She had an instinct. So I, I, just, I just ran with it. But in terms of choice, once again, it, it has more to do with timing. And if you're available for something, if they think of you, for something, because all I've ever really wanted was an opportunity to show folks what I can do and yeah. for them to consider that in casting things. But honestly, more often than not, decisions are made with people attached to projects early, early on. So a lot of the plum parts have been cast already. So... Mm-hmm. Unless you're making your own work, writing your own projects, producing your own projects, you just navigate what it is that comes towards you and uh, think about what you have to offer the project and uh, try to make the best decision given the circumstances that you're in. I didn't set out to do a bunch of limited series, and I found now that I understand each of these genres a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I know what it means to make series. I know what it means to be a part of a long-running television program or a um, the long form, as Mr. Scorsese put it, and what it means to focus your attentions in chunks on a film, whether it be uh, a big-budget film that may shoot for a longer time or something small that only shoots for a relatively you know, shorter amount of time. Yes. So if you're fortunate enough to be able to afford to not work and to perhaps be more choosy about things, you can understand how much, you know, that, okay, do I want to spend six months or seven months making making a project? Is it worth that? Uh, or would I just prefer to focus my time on in short bursts, you know, and or do a play again, uh, which is something I still am trying to do. Because to me, it's all about the opportunity, the role, the people you'd be doing it with, uh, the story you're telling, the challenge, all of those things enrich what it is that the project hopefully will have to offer. But I'm not sitting back. I'm not looking at you know a million opportunities. The opportunities are usually, when they come, they kind of come out of the blue, <laughs> at least in my experience. Yeah. You do have, there's a few directors that you've worked with a couple times. So I, 
for wrapping, I did want to ask you about Bones and All, which I believe you have a role in the new Luca Guadagnino film. Uh, and Call Me By yeah. Your Name is one of my favorites of yours. Yeah, how how was that reunion? I know there's a, this movie is shrouded in secrecy, um, but it is confirmed going to Venice. Um, so how was that reunion? Thrilling. And uh, it was a very small window in which we were making it. And uh, it was like guerrilla filmmaking, basically catch what we can in the time that we have. So I was so grateful uh, anytime Luca thinks of me and to get to be with Tim again, even for a couple of days was fantastic. And I loved the subject and I loved what he thought uh, uh, <laughs> from, uh, that I could do, the, the thing that he threw at me, which was such a, of uh, fun. There's a tease. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, uh, I don't want to say anything other than it was thrilling to be with him again. And I hope that we have many, many opportunities to play together again, because that's one of the pluses is if you stick around doing this for a while, you eventually you start to feel like you have a, a vocabulary and a chemistry with these people and they feel like family members, you know, you just sort of feel like let's make something together and you, it's all the more fun because there's no, you don't have to censor yourself. You can just open your heart to each other immediately and try to make something fantastic. It's a, uh, it's a real treat. And so it was thrilling to be with him again. And like I said, I hope to, I hope we get to play together again. That does it for today's interview episode. We'll be back on Thursday with our roundtable conversation and our continuing book club. In the meantime, find us at VanityFair.com. Find us on Twitter at LittleGoldMan. And on our own, I'm at Katie Rich and David. David Canfield 97. Also, please keep texting us. Join subtext.com slash LittleGoldMan or text 917-809-7096. Our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.